Hello there, and welcome to another edition of the Statsman Podcast with me, James York, and... Ted Knudsen, hello. Hey, Ted, how are you doing? In America, we would have entered the holiday season. Instead, here, I, I end my children from talking about Christmas for one more day. <laughs> holiday season already? Really? <laughs> See, uh, it opens up in, in Thanksgiving, which I think was slightly early this year, so... Oh, I didn't realise it was, it was quite that lengthy. Yeah, no, same in my house. Christmas talk is erupting all around me and uh yeah trying to trying to put a lid on it a little bit for now but i suppose we're getting but there we have the joy of the gift of football and that's what we're here to talk about yeah no one wants to hear us talk about christmas god forbid right <laughs> well since we don't do this very often we thought we'd talk about the boring old premier league boring old premier league um which isn't boring at all it's quite fun and you wanted to start you always want to start at the bottom you see, fixation on the like, bottom. <laughs> see, I, I, ooh, wow, we've gone there already. Sorry, this is a mature audience-only podcast. Uh, no, I, I think that I don't like living up to everybody's expectations where you talk about the top first, and I think that the bottom is really complex, so I think that's where we should start chatting, because the top at the moment, the very top, is not complex at all. No, that's very true, and we'll probably get to that a little bit, because, you know, interesting stories abound. Anyway, at the bottom... Oh, we could do one of two things. I could either look at a league table or I could look at an expected kind of performance table. All right, so you talk about expected and I'll argue back from the perspective of the league table. <laughs> All right, well, this, I thought this was a useful hook because like our little expected table that we've got has got Everton and West Ham in like 14th and 15th. And they've been terrible this season, really. West, West Ham have been dreadful. Uh, they've given up 30 goals 30 although ironically like Everton have given up 28 and Stoke have given up 29 so like they they have company around them and some really big clubs hey well this is it you know you get Stoke's one of the teams that are below them and I think like usually you kind of think like ah yeah well they'll they'll get themselves alright they'll they'll come round um they haven't been very good this season at all they've got three wins but yeah so uh, so yeah We'll start at the very bottom now. It's not Crystal Palace, is it? It really isn't. You know, Palace are Palace aren't in this in this package. You know, as long as they keep kind of plugging away, and they're only three points away from safety now. So you'd, you'd figure that you know, Palace can just replicate their performances. You know, in the next month or two, they should kind of wander their way up to kind of lower mid table. Should if, should if, if the XG numbers have some validity. Uh, uh, you know, as uh, we we get arguments about this all the time, so this is this is like the current state of the world. Does anything have any validity? Um, but if the expected goals numbers have any validity, Crystal Palace have a good chance of saving themselves. And part of it's because like the rest of the league has not been great. There are a number of teams that that are around one point a game, and that's kind of the the cutoff. Uh, part of it is that like the top is so good. But yeah, Palace are not bad, and they haven't been bad kind of during this this whole rocky period. It's just you know the Pardew plunge, and then the initial thing with De Boer where they didn't support him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, so saying you know we're not starting at the bottom of James's expected table, but it's interesting to note that Crystal Palace aren't anywhere near there, and if they just continue on and get some results, like they're not going to be in that bottom three probably, despite the fact that they started with like the worst start any prem. Premier League team ever. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, and that you know, but it was a historically weird lack of goals, 
And, you know, that kind of historic weirdness normally shakes out in some way. And it, I think it very much has done, you know, at least in the early stages of Hodgson's tenure. So, you know, they should be okay. But tied with them on rock, rock bottom on nine points in the real world, but bottom in my little expected thing here, is Swansea. Yeah. Who, I've, like, their defence, hey, they've conceded the same amount of goals of Arsenal. What a positive move. No, no, no. That's just not what's going on here. What's going on with Swansea is they just can't land a glove on anyone. Somehow they've got two wins and three draws, but, you know, they're going through, they're going through games barely landing a shot on target. It's really, really bad stuff. And, um, I, I just, I don't see where this is going to turn around for them because there's been no sign of Swansea having an attack. Well, little embers of Tammy Abraham, I suppose. But no sign of Swansea having an attack all year. Not at all. The first two games, they didn't have a shot on target. And the last two games, they've had one shot on target each. They haven't scored in any of those games. They haven't scored many in the other games. And, you know, they, they kind of limped clear last year with, with Clement um, doing this a bit getting points and they got a little bit lucky they kept, they snuck a few games 1-0 with it despite creating bugger all and nothing's, nothing's changed and the team just looks all wrong everything looks wrong Ted you got anything to add? well they've scored 7 goals in 14 matches which is obviously very bad <laughs> um, and and the thing is you know, I think part of last year they, they managed to score off of set pieces but I'm not even sure they're getting in like set piece situations this year Um the the replacements that they did were yeah pretty challenging um not great and i i don't know like this is we've kind of i've dubbed this in my head at least the i-tour like you you can't come into the premier league in i-tour like you have to actually attack the the teams are too good the quality of the opposition is too good like you cannot sit there and expect to grind out you know points essentially by never attacking and Swansea are in that situation. And, and you're right. When Clement came in last year, he quote-unquote stabilized them by you know, getting the defense stable and, and not doing much attacking. Like The problem with, under Bob Bradley wasn't that they couldn't score. It's that they couldn't, couldn't defend very well uh, for whatever reason. <laughs> I think in, in this summer, they, they really needed to move the needle talent-wise. And, and they, they didn't seem to address any of their issues from last year, which we noticed were like... You know, pace. Maybe Renato Sanchez is somewhat faster, but like wide players, especially like where are you stretching the defense? If you're going to block and counter, who are you countering with? Yeah, like, and you can't be Tammy by himself. And now they haven't got any attacking midfielders. It seems. I think you know Sanchez who got hammered yesterday for passing to an advertising hoarding. Um, he was playing him at ten, which was like really, he's not. That's not his position at all. But then <laughs> I think someone said Nico said. Uh, or who else plays there? And it's like, yeah, they haven't got anyone. It's, it, it's bizarre. They've got no width, and now they've got no like kind of attacking midfield talent, really. And you Swansea think, are troubled, like very, yeah. very troubled. So who's next? You could see that a way out. I have to say, like you know, even though they got a couple of wins early, it was st- it was still a case of uh, no, they're not looking very good at all. Uh, who is next uh, on my list? Huddersfield. I feel sad about that a little bit. They've, 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 I, I still don't think they're very good, though. That's the that's the that's the crux of the matter. That you know they're a promoted team. They've they've acquitted themselves fairly well, but again they're suffering from a, a similar kind of syndrome as as you just described. In the fact they try and make their games really low events, so like nothing happens, 
and they edge the odd win, and they have edged the odd win. You know, they've they've been right, but it can also go wrong. Like they they even were beaten by Swansea <laughs> uh, <laughs> away from home. They haven't been good at all. Uh, they've snuck a snuck a couple of wins at home along the way, but yeah, they've just got barely any attack. <sighs> the defense is okay. They they they. they spec out quite similarly to Swansea but yeah I don't know I don't I don't fancy their chances although you know in a a strong field of bad teams who knows you know they've got a bit of a head start they're on 15 points Uh, you know the goal difference is the worst of the 15 pointers and the goal difference is I think what bottom three actually so if you're looking at goal difference along with the XG differences you know potential predictors like that's there you're right on the attack. Um, you know they they came up with like the tiniest budget ever, like really really small. They don't pay their players that much in the past. Like they are, you know, despite having you know, won the the league way back when, in I think the 20s they had like three three league titles or something like that. <clears throat> 20s 30s. But yeah, it's a uh, they have the gift and the benefit of having put got four wins so far and including some you know an occasional impressive result. Uh, the question is whether that's sustainable, and they, you know, it is like the bottom's complex. I think you know we're going to see at least one team that we think is pretty good go down. I think that's entirely possible. Okay. Uh, none of these teams look nearly as bad or as desperate as as the ones that went down last year, like Hull in the first half of the year or Sunderland. Like we we don't we haven't had that long term malaise outside of maybe a West Ham, and even they haven't been like terribly bad. Uh, a little bit of Crystal Palace, but you know Crystal Palace's numbers look good. So I think this year's relegation is complex, and that's why we're talking about it. It's fun. I know what you mean. The, the teams that have been like genuinely abject have uh, are ones that you feel like there's more in their squad, and you know they just they there hasn't been just like that that really weak team that you just think is going to get annihilated by everyone. Like Hull started off that season, the last season that way, and and I think we all felt Burnley were maybe that team. Uh, we could probably Sunderland. Not... Sunderland, we had them as that team for like five years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sunderland very much were, and yeah, finally the toilet flushed and down they went. Um, who else have we got? It's like yeah, Stoke. Stoke. Stoke are having a weird one. I, th- I think maybe. I don't know. They've conceded so many goals so far. I, I think Stoke are a team that will be fine. But you know, you just look at the performances, and it's like, mm, they're shipping a lot of goals, and they're shipping. A lot of goals compared to expectation. They do have to right the ship sooner or later. You know, one. They gave up seven against City, so that's like a big jump, right? <laughs> they should probably recalculate all this without the City matches in, just to it's, just to like, you know, like in in La Liga. You're like, all right, take out the results against the big two, and how are they playing against everybody else? Um, and and the the benefit for Stoke is that in in the first half of the season, it looks like they only have Tottenham. And Chelsea, both of which they have to play away, but even so, like those are the only tough ones. They get to go to Huddersfield. They've got West Brom. They've got West Ham. They've got Burnley. They've got Swansea. So they they haven't really played this this pack that we're mm. talking about as as being not very good. So if they get results there, then so be it. Now we talk about this type of thing, but I remember two years ago, I think it was under Decanio or, or Gus Poyet, where we're basically one of these teams were doomed and they pulled out like you know back-to-back away victories against the top four and you're like well there was something like a a a 90 to 1 chance that that this was going to happen and they they managed to save themselves and when you only need three to six points to to really move the needle between relegation and not 
you know, these sorts of funky results happen. So, you know, we're on, we've got 24 games left in the season. It's fun to talk about it, but you know, we we do a lot of predicting and and we do all right in getting them right. But these are close enough that it's hard to say that anybody is is definitely in trouble or not. You can you can definitely swing your probabilities pretty strongly just by making some smart decisions and getting a couple of lucky bounces. Well, like I mean, there's eight points between ninth and twentieth, and uh, what's it? Eight points between second and seventh. So, <laughs> and eight points between first and second. So there you go. Yeah. The, the, th- <laughs> the three tiers of the Premier League at the moment, with one interloper, which is obviously Burnley, uh, who still. I mean, this argument has become. Uh, we're not going to do that right now. We're going to talk about them later. They're on. They're on my list. All right, Bournemouth are on my uh. list next. Bournemouth. <laughs> Bournemouth the next. As in the like could be in trouble mode. Now I think they've changed a little bit, Bournemouth, because they have. Um, it's like they've. We talked about this with Klopp's Liverpool a few times uh, as we've gone along, and it's like the the innate balance between attacking and defending, and being able to get one thing very right, but having to you know a trade off at the other end, and you know obviously talent can help you escape that. But uh, Bournemouth seems to have seems to have dried up a little bit on on the front end. Uh, sorry, I've dried up a little bit on the front end uh, whilst uh, sorting out their defence a little bit. Not, mm, probably not enough. Um, so we're still early in the season, but um, you know, to to back that up, this year on the attacking side, they're at 0.82. Yeah, 0.82 xG per game is what we have them at. Last year they were at 1.16, so you know a moderate swing. Quarter goal a game is is pretty significant there. Uh, yeah, more yeah. than quarter goal, it's like uh, a third. Um, and then the defensive side is is what you know. Football is a, a game of two things, but they're tied together. So defensive side 1.59 per game last year, and then this season 1.49. So they moved it a little bit, but not nearly enough to make up for the other bit of it. And, yeah. and again, the question the question becomes. What does their schedule look like? And you know, we talked about Stoke having gone through most of the, the fire in the first part. Um, the 17th of December, Bournemouth have Liverpool. Oh, sorry, 13th, they are at Manchester United. And then the 23rd, they are at Manchester City in the league. They've also got the sandwich game for the, the uh, League Cup with, at Chelsea. Uh, on the twentieth, that is a <laughs> that is a chomper of a set of, of fixtures there. Four in a row, where you're just like, yeah, um, good luck. I wish you the best. Yeah, and even even before that, traveling to Palace suddenly doesn't look like the simple game. And you might, well, it's never going to be a sim- simple game. But yeah, well, they've got of, the, the South Coast Derby this weekend too. Yeah, yeah, and even at the end of Christmas, they got the Brighton Derby. That's another South Coast Derby. Oh, you know, there's angles everywhere here. Yeah, Bournemouth. This is this could be bad actually. I haven't really had a good look at their, you know, their incomings, but um, yeah, this it's weird. I mean, if it's not, I'm sure we'll get tweets from a certain uh, account associated with Bournemouth talking about, you know, they'll be chirpy. What, what can we say? <laughs> we're presented with the facts, Ted, and we're responding to them. <laughs> if Bournemouth were brilliant, we'd have to admit it. <laughs> now, to be fair, they're in fifteenth. They're four points clear. And they only have a minus four goal difference, which is really intriguing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they they do seem to have shorted it up a bit. Um, you know, those the expected goals would say that they should be giving up about one and a half a game. They're closer to one. Um, what do we think? Uh, Josh King's not scoring, so that that was certainly a prediction that, that you know he was running hot and everybody's no no he's amazing and then he's not scoring and you're like okay maybe less so. But they did sign Jermaine Defoe, which you know should have cleared up all those goal scoring issues for them. 
You just add talent, right? Supposedly, Josh thinking, because I wrote about that, became a bit of a, a conversation topic in Norway, which was fascinating. I was remote to all of that. But anyway, yeah, you know. He, James is big in Norway, didn't <laughs> you know? Apparently so. But, um, yeah, he's got two in 12, which is totally what you'd expect from his like career uh, after last season's hot run. Defoe hasn't played that much. I mean, you know. I'll I'll reserve judgment on that. <laughs> are there reason are there reasons why he hasn't played that much? Uh, <laughs> don't tempt me, Ted. <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping my powder dry on default for now. I, I, I know James has hot button issues here. It's uh, sorry, that's that's my fault. <laughs> I apologize. Just, just going to leave it <laughs> off a little bit. But yeah, prob- probably it's probably a little bit of on on the defensive end. It's probably a little bit of positive variance that's just kind of helped them at this so stage. The the XG numbers have them where? Uh, like 17th. No, yeah, 17th, I think. Okay. And they're 15th. I mean, these these are these are small margins, but like you said, you know, they're, they're, if you just look at the league table, their goal difference looks okay, and they do have a few wins on the board, so you think, mm, and they've been winning recently, so, you know. And they, that's happened before as well. They've started very slowly in, in both of, I think, the two seasons they've, they've been in the league. So it's possible. I mean, this is something I might mention about Tottenham, we don't know how the fitness plan works for any of these teams. That's true. And, and uh, you know, with every team's got... Uh, I know that's well out of my lane here, but um, there's, <laughs> there's so seven Premier League games in December, which is just insanity. I don't know, stupid idea that was. Plus a round of Champions League fixtures and, as we just said, uh, League Cup fixtures as well. It's just absolute madness because of the World Cup, I think it was. Um, but, yeah, you know... The, if you're kind of like hanging back a little bit on your fitness work with that in mind, <laughs> which would make a lot of sense, then yeah, there might be a few teams that are not quite hitting peaks right now that are seemingly a little bit disappointing that, you know, we might, we just said Bournemouth have got a very hard schedule, so that that might counteract that, but, you know, if, but if we do another one of these in, you know, after Christmas, we might look at it and think like, well, actually, that's interesting. They went on a little bit of a run. So, so Pugsley and I used to talk about this fairly regularly, and Ben used to track it. And December and, and January were, and February a bit, were like the worst for, for injuries. And yeah. part of that is, is the schedule congestion. Part of it is the, the conditions as well. Like, it's a little more slippery. The turf can... Um, you know, cause problems. Although most of the the Premier League clubs have really good turf at this point, so it's not as big a deal. Um, but you know, it's going to come up in the media, and you should just call bullshit on it whenever you read it. Like they'll be like, "Oh well, these teams played their second team." Look, it is impossible to play anywhere close to your first eleven through this schedule that even just the Premier League teams have. Forget everybody else that's got the additional game or two. Uh, that they have to play. So, you know, the media is going to make a thing about it, but the fact of the matter is, it's the league element's fault for having all of these games together. They couldn't spread it out, uh, I guess, because of the World Cup, but also, you know, England has an extra cup competition that almost nobody else has, and because they've kept league cup competition forever. Look, it is safer for the players to just ship a game and and say, hey, we're going to try and protect our, our guys from from the brutality of the schedule than it is from even trying to compete in every single one of these because it will cost you as you get further on into the season and none of these teams can afford that I think I think Arsenal I think Arsenal got stuffed at Southampton uh, over Christmas a couple of years back it might have been 4-0 or 4-1 or something like that was. 
and it very much felt like that it was right in the middle of the, the tough schedule and maybe they went I think they went down early like maybe one or two nil down or something and then it just felt like they just kind of survived that game obviously they didn't they you know they lost quite heavily and got slated for it but it was just at that time it was just like yeah there was you know from t- two nil down at half time you can try and kill yourself try and get back into that game or you can just like be pragmatic and think like right okay we've got a game in two days or three days and and uh, let's just try and survive and get to that so so we i think somebody out there a couple of years ago did some some gambling logic on this and they they looked at it and they're like oh well you know they it's the it's the small teams that that you know have a fighting chance when these big teams get tired in fact it's the small teams that get tonked because their players are already tired despite the fact that because they have you know I wouldn't say half-size squads, but usually they have fewer players that are legitimate. So when they have to rotate significantly, like they're the ones that end up having more problems. You know, Chelsea can bring Mishi on and, and actually play him for a bit. <laughs> well, he's really quite good. Yeah. Uh, whereas, wh- who are Brighton or, 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 or Huddersfield? Or <laughs> I mean, even, even Bournemouth have to play Defoe all of a sudden. There you go. Yeah, through December. That wouldn't, wouldn't West Brom. That's, there's a challenging one. But where's the where's the depth at striker at West Brom? I guess Saito Barahino, who's basically disappeared. He's at Stoke, isn't he? He went to Stoke. See, that's oh, how... yeah, that's right. Sorry. <laughs> there you go. That's why he's disappeared. Nice. <laughs> yeah. nice. Well done, idiot. Jason <laughs> still thinks that Barahino's at West Brom. <laughs> but there's a point. I was looking at, like, you know, the, the t- teams to be concerned about. Like, uh, West Brom's got two wins, which is awful. And Pardew in charge, which... Uh, anyway, oh, so so I, I wanted to look that up. I was like, why am I so confused about this? How Robson can do, uh, Jay Rodriguez and Solomon Rondon all have two goals for West Brom this year. So that's why I'm slightly confused about who their goal scorers are, because yeah. they don't really have any goal scorers. Yeah, they, 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 they've dried up a little bit. I don't know what Pardew's going to make of this, this Pulis-built squad. and They're certainly down there in the mix and need to get, get things organized soon. I have um, been very gentle about this on Twitter. Uh... I don't understand this hiring at all. Like, no. what in his resume makes you think that a he's good at saving clubs from anything, b that he's a good hire? Period. At this point, like, mm. he he doesn't have the Pulis or the Allardyce or even like the Roy Hodgson thing where you know he stabilizes them and then you know they they generally end up positive from that point forward. Like, look, as much as Allardyce feels. Like it's not creative. Like there's no imagination in his in his hiring. His resume is basically impeccable when it comes to to being able to save clubs and also like that. I mean, you look at what happened to Sunderland. He really made them legit. Like, like they were they were like you know they their expected goal difference basically went to zero. Whereas for years it had been like minus a half or so. And then he disappears and poof, they just rocket straight down the the table and the leagues and now they're in the championship. Still quite terrible. Pardew has none of that. Pardew is high variance. His mm. teams generally don't play particularly attractive football. He loses the dressing room at various points because, you know, if you read the stories around him, it's shocking. Like, and those are the ones that get written about. They're not the ones that, that don't get written about, but those are, are far worse to some extent. At least that is the rumor around it. Um, yeah, it's. I think the, that of all the hires, he's the one that makes the least sense to me. And if you had to to put money on a team that's not in relegation form right now, that could definitely go there. It's West Brom. Yeah, I mean, it, it could. It, it's just a complete coin flip as to which way that goes. Um, I don't. Just to 
hijack onto that. West West Ham, I think, like West Ham don't look as bad on the, on the expected numbers. But you just can't trust Moyes. And that defeat yesterday, you know, absolutely tanked at, at Everton. Okay, Everton scored, I think, with the first couple of shots. Well, for two or three shots. And it was one, one of those days a little bit. But with that Sunderland season where he just seemed to have no ability to get his hand on the handbrake at all. Yeah. And, you know, they've conceded more goals than anyone. Yesterday was terrible. He was entirely defeatist throughout his entire tenure at Sunderland. You just, you know, you just have to factor that in as a as a aspect. Like the the can Moyes even motivate a team to actually get out of a slump now? Because he's come in and he hasn't really hasn't really done anything. It's What's too, the culture like behind the scenes? Uh, we yeah. we don't generally talk about this. This is not our our bailiwick in terms of hey, these are the things that we have expertise on, and we like to talk about it. But I'm, it is a legit potential issue. Um, West Ham apparently don't have the best culture behind the scenes, and mm. you, know, you talk about leadership and what everybody's like, and you know if if the guy at the top isn't leading, and you already have issues and. Yeah, the the rumblings from the fans and the media both are. Yeah, I mean, they just changed. There's no honeymoon at all. <laughs> there was no honeymoon. They went straight to maybe I want to get a divorce. Um, yeah, West Ham. I think. You seen their schedule? Do you want to know their schedule? We love this. Man City, Chelsea, and Arsenal in the next three games. Yes, exactly. So, we so we talked get... about it when when they were looking at, at the Billich you know, hiring or firing. It is bad. It's like you know they they could lose all those heavily, and that wouldn't even be that surprising or unusual and then you're suddenly looking at it thinking like well what the hell it, much like until last night uh, Unsworth at Everton you know you're thinking like you need to sack this caretaker he's, he's completely lost control they've got no idea what they're doing um, that, that would be a particularly bad situation if they ended up there and yeah and West Ham travelled to Tottenham uh, I'm not going to say too much about that before the end of the year as well so they got <laughs> in, in yeah so he's Yes, and a, was it a cup match at Arsenal? So they got four matches against the the top, the, I should say the big six, Tottenham in seventh at the moment, uh, before the end of the year. Plus, their, uh, their easy games are Newcastle at home when Rafa's going to come in and need to scrap for points. That one's a bit ridiculous, actually, but we'll we'll save that for now. Uh, and then away at Bournemouth. So yeah, these are their 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 run to the the new year is not pretty. And yeah. <laughs> Moy's we'll better see where they end up. Moy's better get his secret Santa magic running and get, get a nice Christmas party. It's not like they have party. a buffer. They're already in 18th. It's not, yeah. and they have a minus 18 goal difference. Like there's, there's no space for error here. Mm, yeah, and that's that's the thing. You know, I said we're looking at the teams below, kind of Everton and um, West Ham in a kind of expected sense. Um, Everton and West Ham are very much in that mix. You'd obviously. Fancy Allardyce to like completely fix that, as you alluded to there. Uh, it it won't be what Everton started the season to be, like you know seventh place contenders with 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 football. It'll be uh, perhaps top half contenders with grit. And if it, I mean maybe he's got a little bit more talent than usual, Allardyce. I can't see him changing changing his methods too too strongly not at this well, certainly stage. doesn't have pace but of all the the managers that were kind of rumored to potentially come in there he's one that doesn't need it 
He's more like the Pulis. He can get by with physical guys. He can organize a defense. They can grind out set pieces. And between Rooney and, and Gilfie, they've got good delivery there. Um, so I, I think they've changed the profile of what they need in order to, to be successful, at least with Allardyce at the helm. It doesn't mean, it doesn't excuse their recruitment. Um, and going back to West Ham, like for those of you who aren't West Ham fans, it was really interesting this summer the the discord between what we were saying and what the broader media were saying um and we got asked to i got asked to talk to like some of the the west ham fan blogs to explain it and you know there were there were like two things going on here one apparently billage was kept on largely because of um you know the the victory over Tottenham on a Friday night on on television, and you know what I'd heard from rumors around the club before then was that yeah it was rocky and they were looking to make a change, and then that happened and they kept him, which doesn't really make that much sense because if you had these other issues that you were concerned about and you didn't think that you know things were being led in a great direction, then maybe you should change anyway that one single victory one way or another. And they finished the season okay, but that didn't change how they got there. The journey and the process is what matters. Anyway, then you hit the recruitment this summer, and their recruitment was the the old age recruitment and, and overpaying for some guys. And so you end up with Arnautovic, you end up with Zabalette, who I love, and I think Zabalette is actually a good addition, but it's in combination with everything else where they're adding 28, 29-year-olds on four-year deals, on you know, the 32, 33-year-old fullbacks on on three-year deals. It's just bad. I just and I, I I made this comment on on Twitter last night. I said it's not that I don't like your team. In fact, many of you, I I, I actually appreciate your club. So if I'm saying negative things about them, it's because I like laughing at people who do dumb things with regard to business, which makes football my apprentice. And both of them have Lady Karen Brady involved. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, it's, it, I, I I could endorse the kind of like why don't you seem to like my team? And it's normally, for me, it's normally yeah a combination of like being annoyed at their methods in some way, or uh, being <laughs> being annoyed at uh, them them not them not entirely matching their expectation. <laughs> if they're too high or too low, then I've got reasons to moan about them. <laughs> See, there you go. James, James <laughs> like to moan anyway, but we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. It's coming. Uh, is it? It's oh, coming. God, There's God. a reckoning up the table that, that I'm going to pin James to the floor on. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, maybe. We could move to that right. now. I think we've covered the bottom there. I, I think you're probably right. So so who who's getting relegated out of those those clubs, though? Like, you tell me. Given, given yeah, the disparity right. a little bit in the league table and, and otherwise, who's getting relegated? Swansea, I, yeah, Swansea, Swansea are terrible, and they're going down. Um, hmm. These will be wrong, by the way. Just, just so we're clear, we'll be wrong. We're not saying that these. Are let's just, let's just, for <laughs> sheer speculative value, I'm going to pick Swansea, Huddersfield, and West Brom. I want to pick. Oh God, I want to pick West, West Ham. Ham just because of Moyes, and I think he's just an anchor. So I'm gonna go Swansea, Huddersfield, and West Ham. I don't know. That's I'm you know. So Swansea's one I feel strongly about. Yeah. yeah, sure. My my most likely is feel like Swansea, West Ham, West Brom. Part of that is based on the current table, and part of that is based on you know. I'm not sure that that people. I'm not sure you can get what Pulis got out of that group of players from another manager, right? Like you've got to deconstruct it. You've got to transition. They they actually have good players there, but the question yeah. is. How do you I, move? Yeah. So that's those are my three. 
I get your point. I, I, I think you know, there's, there is, there's probably enough talent in that squad. Maybe Pardew can harness it for three months and get them clear, and then before the inevitable crash. But we'll see. Okay. So let's move up the table. Mm-hmm. Seventh position. That's Tottenham. It is Tottenham. <laughs> is that what you wanted to mention? <laughs> Are you driving me towards sixth position? I'm not sure. I, I, I am definitely driving towards sixth position. There's a, there's a team in six that, that James and I need to discuss now. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. So, so Spurs are in seventh, but it's not crisis. So this is actually a broader issue at the top of the table. Champions League is a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. Champions League is a real pain for these teams because Spurs, the one thing Spurs don't have is depth, especially in attack. We know that. It's been that way. It's not going to change. Fernando Llorente is, uh, whoo. <laughs> He's an expensive goalpost at the moment. I, I, I like the guy. Don't get me it wrong. It doesn't fit the style at all. It no, never did. We no. said this at the beginning. It doesn't fit the style. So why is he there? I think it kind of snuck through, like, as well. Because it was, like, late deal. It kind of snuck through the fact that he was 14 million quid for a 32-year-old, like, former striker, <laughs> I guess. Which is horrible. If, when, when you the actually, late like, Spurs look deals at have it. gotten bad instead of good. The when late Spurs deals for the ends of windows have suddenly gotten bad instead of good. They used to be good. When you look at that just in isolation, it's it's like really that much money for uh, yeah an aging kind of header of the ball. And Tottenham just don't really cross it too much. Anyway, yeah, sorry, you're driving me towards Burnley, aren't you? Well, I mean, I, I think that we we wanted to make the point that that Spurs and and the Champions League they've done well in the Champions League this year. They've had some good results, but clearly they that has cost them a bit. It feels like. Um, you know they're more tired. They look like an Arsenal now. <laughs> Very much Arsenal and Spurs keep swapping places in different things. Arsenal, on the other hand, just play second teams in the Europa League, and they're like, "Ooh, we're in fourth, and we look great." <laughs> yeah, and they're cruising along. I mean, it's no, it's no surprise. It's quite explainable. I mean, yeah, er- Ericsson has played like every minute since since the dawn of time. He looks and had li- the tough qualifiers in the World Cup where he had to yeah, basically yeah, yeah. drive his team through. He was yeah, he was the main man there as well. He, he's had a lot lot of football in his legs. I don't know. I, again, I, I was I was thinking about this beforehand, and I was uh, looking at looking at what Tottenham have done in seasons past, and they've 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 rarely been sparkling at this point. And then December and onwards, they've they've improved and got better, and like come strong in the, in the spring. So, yeah, I mean, this it's easy. Three defeats in five looks looks bad. Uh, losing to Leicester isn't the the surprisingest thing in the world is, but you know, they list left scored a couple of very, very good goals. Uh, Tottenham kind of banged on the door a bit, and they, they, I think they missed three or four really good chances there. That, <coughs> that result could have easy, easily gone the other way. And I mean, you know, the other games they've lost have been against the, the big teams away at the big teams. Uh, they were a bit limp against Arsenal, I think they were a bit patched up that day. How about the shame. expected goals numbers, though? Where do they have them? Yeah, they're fine. They're fine. They're in amongst. I mean, this this is this is the thing. The City are miles clear, and then you've got kind of Arsenal, Liverpool, Man United, and Tottenham all kind of m- much of a muchness. With Chelsea kind of on their own, uh, a little bit back, mainly through not having much of much of an impressive attack up till now. I think, I think part of that is, is score effects as well. Like Chelsea, mm. Chelsea have a bit of thing where they're able to get ahead early, and they just 
they just rack him up. Like the the one thing that Conte does is he coaches a great defense, uh, regardless of whether he has elite They've talent. Been a li- they do a little have bit a off their peak up. there, like, from last they from are. last season. But you know that's fine. They had, a, they had a hell of a season last season, and um, you know they're just all of those teams are still like well in the well in the mix now. It'd be too easy to to like you know say oh you know whoever's this is the thing isn't it this is what we try and look beyond like what's happening today or what's happening this week or what's happening this month even and so try and get a bigger picture of like okay how good is this team is it trending in the right direction whatever it is and yeah all those teams are still well well in the mix there's there's nothing at all that's been decided there but yeah i mean arsenal's lack of champions league and complete rotation is a real help so the team in sixth (laughs) Where are their expected goals numbers? Yeah, they're they're in they're in the bin. They're down with the, the <laughs> expected goals numbers. And this has been a discussion that's raged, raged. Just how much of this this variance between like what we're Say looking at? Say their name, at, James. Say it. Burnley, Say it. <laughs> Burnley the Sean Dyche eleven. Um, yeah, how much is the difference between? Stop laughing, Ted. Sorry. <laughs> Stop laughing at my <laughs> my lack of support for Burnley. Um, yeah, so I I hopped off this bus a long time ago. There, um, <laughs> there is an argument that says that you know Burnley were going to crash and Dice is lucky, and uh, having been a professional gambler, we we take things that are uncertain or that don't match sort of the model views, and at some point you're like, mm, this doesn't add up. And I, so I switched off of the bus that says that Burnley are bad, and I switched onto the bus that says that Sean Dyche is a warlock. And I'm firmly on this bus. In fact, I'm driving it. Uh, in Warlock World, it's a magical bus, but nevertheless. Um, they do special stuff, and Dyche actually has some things going on that we think are, are part of the plus EV playbook, like basically the strategic elements. He certainly has that. And nothing was more miraculous to me than the numbers that they came out of the championship with, because like those numbers were bad. They, any, any way you look at it is bad. But Burnley were a real pain in the ass to play against, and they, they, they went to automatic promotion. They didn't even go through the playoffs. So since that time, I'm kind of like, yeah, he has special sauce, and they are a bit lucky to be in sixth. Although the funny thing is, like, this used to be Spurs thing, where they would have a, a, a basically a goal difference around zero and be in fifth, sixth all the time. Uh, Dice has, has managed to do that with low event games and playing good defense and having Tankowski out there. Love Tarky. Um, so when I first came into to Brentford, we did a, a review of the players and kind of who we thought was you know probably the most expensive or had the rarest skill sets or whatever to potentially look at you know eventual transfer money down the line and um you know andre gray was was one that we thought was pretty good um my evaluation for andre was probably low end of the premier league and yeah he's kind of in and around that other wofford or up the table like andre he doesn't have that that passing and that creativity element even the dribbling he's like really fast and very strong and pretty good mover inside the box uh he wallops the hell out of the ball but he was kind of in that breakout. Tarkowski was the one that I thought could potentially be the most expensive, at least on a long-term contract. You don't find players his size. He's not super fast, but he's fast enough. But you don't find players his size with his skill set. And his passing from center back is actually fairly unique. And and for 
for half a season anyway, he was one of the leading dribblers on Brentford, which was both terrifying and, and kind of fascinating to watch. He just had no fear with the ball at his feet coming out of the back. Now, he doesn't get away with that shit under Sean Dyche, but he's moved up and he's learned more defensive uh, solidity under Dyche. And he looks like a good center back. He's on the sixth team in, in the Premier League. Pretty impressive. So James is on the, the thing where he thinks that, that Burnley will someday regress. But if you, were, if you were short on Burnley, James, you would be bankrupt right now. Right, sure. But, um, <laughs> then, right, I'll, I'll, I'll de- detail very briefly my, my thoughts here. Um, like, the, the problem um, with, with Burnley from an expected perspective is their attack is just nothing. They've got very little in, in in attack, and no one's looking at that. But it is it's poor. You know their their attack is poor. They're doing okay with it, not scoring very many goals. They're overshooting by a significant margin at the back. Now, how much of that is Sean Dyche's uh, ability to get magic out of a cauldron is one thing, and how much <laughs> of it how much of it is just the fact they're on a bit of a run. Which happens, teams run hot, etc., etc., is another. And the, you know the, the argument. The argument is kind of raged on. You know, like oh, you, people saying like oh, it's not. It can't just be all luck. You know, they're not going to revert. Whatever it is, they could have a flat season from the rest of the year. They'd still look like they were ahead of the ahead of uh, expectation because that's all been packed into the early part of their season. They have like no, twenty five points, right? That's right. Yeah, I mean, they are <laughs> they are going to end up having had. That season, where they end up, you know, seventh, tenth, thirteenth, whatever it is, you know, they they're going to end up well safe and well clear. I imagine they'll drop down as as time goes on because they just haven't got much of an attack. Um, but like I say, you know, no one is saying. I think I was quoted as someone said, like you said, it was all luck once, and I might have, and I might have a long time ago. <laughs> Um, probably in jest, probably on this podcast. But, <laughs> but, we're we're yeah, only do, serious around here. I do Never like laughing. Take, I do like to take a point, yeah, but um, take a stance. But um, yeah, it's 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 a bit of both. And I I think personally, the narrative has moved too far towards explaining Burnley as something special, when in fact. Like that's probably only a small, a smallish factor, a small but not non-zero factor uh, that's been emphasised by a reasonably large uh, slice of luck. It's it's arguable, you know. It's you can look at data and and take a stance on these things, but um, you know, there's plenty of teams that are trying to like exceed their uh, expected numbers and do things shrewdly and efficiently. It just you know, Burnley have the last two seasons have like come out and had like fast starts and it's it's kind of like given them a, a you know a real kind of like obvious profile in regard to that in our little kind of you know looking at stats world anyway the uh, truth about Burnley is somewhere between six and their numbers and you yeah. know last year they they kind of they, they fell at the end of the year and were still struggling but they did fine they stayed up and their, their goal was to stay up but I think that that's that's where I come in. Now, you know, the, the truth is somewhere between six and their numbers, and their numbers are quite low. And and Sean Dyche is the, the gap in between. They, they've done well. There's a bit of luck there. But, yeah, they're not sixth either. Uh, they might finish that, actually. Like, Alan Pardew wasn't sixth when, or fifth when Newcastle <laughs> finished fifth. And, and since that time, Alan Pardew has never been near there. So Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I think their defense, like, our expected numbers have got the defense is 11th. 
and but their attack is nineteenth. Right. So so that's so that's something that's been a little bit overlooked is the fact that their attack is is like not good. Um, and well, let's, let's switch to something that is good then. How about <laughs> Manchester City? They're not bad, Ted. <laughs> I took some stick uh, three weeks ago. It was a while ago when I said that you know the current numbers that we had for City said that they might be historic. Like that's how good they look. Um, you know, year two with Pep with fullbacks uh, with with you know slightly older um, attackers as well. They, they look magnificent, and man, did did Twitter light up. And it wasn't just grumpy Barcelona fans, which I think is all of them forever and ever, despite the fact that they never do anything but win and they get me in a mess. They're just always grumpy. And I said, look, this looks like you know Pep's Barcelona in terms of like how dominant they are without Messi. And, and they're like, oh, you can't say that. Like, this is this is through so many games. This is through the early part of the season, but it looks like this. Since that time, they've actually been more dominant, not less. And, and higher goal scoring. Yeah, I think I think the, the last night against um, Southampton was the first time that um, like the expected numbers actually you know, spec'd out. Like the the game could have gone either way, and they still. But then that was because Southampton had like really high value chances. They still outshot them by like four times as many shots or whatever it was, and secured secured the win. And that's the thing: there will be bumps in the road. They're not going to win every game. They have won. They should have won every game. They should have beat Everton, but they, you know they're not gonna win every game. But yeah, to do this in the Premier League, even you know from from the, a flat start at the start of the season, even with all the money and you know the, the buying the best players and having no a strong squad, yeah, exactly. No Loads of teams, have, you know, Chelsea have done that over the years. Man United have spent fortunes, but like to go out there and literally just sit on the league and like just not let it move from underneath you is it is genuinely impressive, and you know they the are is, eight points clear through fourteen matches. This is absurd. This isn't Germany. Yeah. This isn't this isn't you know Real Madrid maybe having a slightly down year or having one single competitor. This is City stomping the richest league in the world. I'm not going to say the best, but the richest, where everyone has the talent around them to potentially take points off of you, and they're just not. Yeah, it's it's it is truly impressive stuff up to this point, and you know they they should be celebrated for what they've done. I mean, even when Chelsea went on their thirteen game winning streak last season, which is impressive in itself, uh, you know that that was based around their defence. You know their defence was rock solid through that period, and they just didn't concede any goals, and you know that was exceptional. But like what City, what City have done in this opening you know part of the season, it's both ends of the pitch. You know they're they're top, they're they're the best attack in the league, and they're the best defence in the league. And that's, Their defense you know, is amazing. Uh, amazing. This balance that we've talked about earlier, like you know, get that balance, like to be the best attack and the best defense, like by margins. That's you know significantly impressive. And well, let's here we are. let's also be clear. Manchester United have basically spent exactly as amount, the same amount of money as City have over the last say three four years, right? There is mm-hmm. is almost no difference between them. Yeah. And. And Manchester United are eight points back, and actually really good. Yeah, <laughs> Plus twenty-four good, goal difference. Their defense is also really good. <laughs> they're having a decent season. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing, you know. And in in any other year, you'd probably be saying like, yeah, this this United team is is a very good team. I think they're. I don't think they're quite as good as, as they might appear. But you know, they've got depth and talent, and Lukaku will start scoring again sooner or later, just because they will create chances against bad teams, and he'll be there for them. It, yeah. It's not 
they're not boring though. They're amazing to watch. You learn so much just by watching them, uh, and and in some cases they're breathtaking. Uh, the De Bruyne goal. So I took my my boy to to Leicester. Uh, for that game because I wanted to be able to, to see what I thought might be an historic city that was quite uh, the pilgrimage Ted because you don't live near Leicester so that was no I don't impressive. And I, I also don't drive uh, I, <laughs> I have like a, a, a learner's permit but I've never bothered to get my license so yeah it was a, it was quite a long way and it was cold but it was <laughs> it was amazing so that De Bruyne goal um, was exactly why I'd been talking to my son about having two feet because it's it's really there's a there's a shot from behind the goal it looks the ball comes from basically if you're looking out from the goal the ball comes from the right De Bruyne is a natural right footer um, it looks like he's going to shift to his right and everybody else comes to that because they just figure alright we'll close down the right and what happens is he takes a little touch shifts it back to his left puts it in perfect spot to shoot and you see like the parting of the sea everybody overplays <laughs> it and then suddenly there's this lane and he hammers it into the, the top 90 and like I could see it coming because we were right behind that goal and i was just like oh man wow <laughs> and and it's, it's an amazing thing where you, you've got that second foot and if, if you've got that it, it opened up play in a way that you can't have it any other way they have so many players that are fun to watch in different ways like sane had everybody on toast right he was just zoom, it just runs past them and and no one could keep up with them and there's no way that you can stabilize your defense because like if your fullback can't can't keep up with them and he's one of your faster players and your center back has to deal with them all the time like you're just always adjusting so that's a huge problem obviously Raheem is a huge problem David Silva sitting between the lines when you've got these terrorists that are that are sprinters or speedsters uh, out wide is also a huge problem <clears throat> But I think the most amazing thing of that whole game, aside from the De Bruyne goal and actually the, the interplay in, inside of that, was Delph just completely stoning Mahrez. Like, Mahrez right. has had kind of the run of the league for a while, and, and teams have to overcommit to, to shut him down. And talking about City's defense and seeing what they're getting from Delph at fullback, which I didn't expect. Like, not, not to make fun of him, but you know, people just thought that Delph went there as a, as a paycheck. And some of the Villa fans were like, well, he's better than that. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. But he never played. And and in that city midfield, you would think that it's weird. But watching him play fullback and just not giving an inch and, and completely locking down Mares made me think, whoa, there is even more talent on here than I expected. And, and Pep's finding it in, in ways that nobody has before. I think, yeah, I think so. <laughs> something to pick up there. But we were going to move to, it's very eloquent, eloquent Ted, very good... Uh, Runner across my sorry, side. I don't mean to be hagiographic about it. It's, it's no, bad it's to say nice things about that, right? Yeah, <laughs> no. not hipsters, yeah, yeah. No, but, but one, one, th- I think we were going to get to a point we were going to like review th- like certain things that we thought we might have got right in the summer, which we could li- move to that. But I also said, like, what did we get wrong, Ted? We must have got something wrong. And I was racking my brain because obviously that sounds so arrogant. No, I'm, I'm joking, we get plenty of things wrong. But yeah. one of the things I got wrong. Uh, and it's hilarious because it keeps coming up. Is I spotted that Kevin De Bruyne had taken a ton of shots from with his left foot last season, like in his career, <laughs> and he and he scored just bugger all, just just rubber, just wasting shots from from range with his left foot. And he scored, was. You're he's, not wrong. <laughs> I was like, look, he's just shifting onto his left. This is a this is a great coaching tip. <laughs> and anyway, since then, he scored like three, and they're getting better. That was the thing. The one at the one at Leicester. <laughs> 
is it like, you know, the best left-footed player in the world? Messi could have scored that goal. And you'd be like, yeah, that's amazing. That's a fantastic shot with his this natural is off foot. foot. <laughs> yeah. And it's his wrong foot. And he's absolutely larruped into the top corner. It's like, ah, oh, well. So, yeah, every time, every time, it's funny, every time he scores with his left foot, like, my, my notifications light up on Twitter. And you're just like, hey. It's, it's just how, you know, people listen to you. And that, and that's part of the good, good parts. <laughs> like, we... You guys bug us, hey, when's a podcast? And we've been really busy. Like this, like this last quarter especially, we've been you know, nose to the grindstone working on work. And that's one reason why we haven't had that much time to, to do this. <clears throat> but we also have some pretty big fans that they're like, man, I wish you guys would do more podcasts. And I was like, all right, yeah, I guess it's due. Um, let me start with something that I definitely got. Well, I'm not sure that I got it wrong, but there were, there's always strings attached. So, like, Crystal Palace, I thought could do pretty well. And Frank DeBoer, I thought, would be okay, because usually he has a, he's decent at setting up a defense. Um, he doesn't get enough credit for that. But, like, you have to support him with the players, and they didn't at all. And that's one reason why everything went wrong. And it was like a weird thing where, where Parrish was sort of talking about the players coming to him and, and him listening to that. But that's, like, very, very strange, because it's very expensive to get rid of your manager, and especially for, you know, when certain older center backs are complaining about it. I don't know. Uh, so I thought Palace would be better. Like by their numbers, Palace are better uh, on the expected side, but they're rock bottom at the at the end of the table. So uh, that was definitely something that I I missed. Um, City, I don't think I missed. Arsenal being as good as they are, I, I think that I missed the effect that just being able to chop and change Europa League and and the Premier League. Like you know, I I, I said very early on, I was cautiously and quietly optimistic. Now. Um, but you know, I still wouldn't have done the things that they did in the summer. I, I would never keep Ozil and and Sanchez and, and let that money burn because I think that they should have reinvested it early on and taken care of that. But yeah, that's that's, that's very true. true. The, the, the thing about Arsenal is, like, yeah, I think we we were quite early on the like actually Arsenal might be all right this season because like they'd still had a couple of results and people were like ah oh, same old Arsenal, same old Arsenal. And that's the thing you've got two you have got the you know the, the twin lines of inquiry here. You know, on the one on the one hand, they've been fine this season, and they they should be in that top four mix, no problem. But on the other hand, your two best attackers are going to go in the summer, whatever. So, like you know, they they've made good change. Look, it looks like they've made positive changes behind the scenes to like try and you know you got this recruitment guy Mislin Tap from Dortmund. They've got someone from Barcelona. I'm mildly skeptical that there's a lot too many people trying to do one job here and but you know you can accept it as being like a, a an attempt to an address to address like re- recruitment issues which is is fine but you've still got to re- replace those two guys and that's that yeah, problem isn't going away and that's you know this so is so much money so world class talent you know yeah i mean if you want to actually go out and buy like the 24 year old 25 year old alexis sanchez and the 24 year old 25 year old meza Ozil, like now like what are you paying 100 million each easy and like who are these players as well it's such that's a massive thing for them to solve in the summer and it, and it just doesn't go away so, Ozil can play forever uh, the way yeah. that Ozil plays is like David Silva he can play forever doesn't have to run as much like you know he could go to potentially go to Italy at the end of his career and just kind of hang out in space and, and kick beautiful passes to guys and, and yeah. whatever um, the, the other you can imagine you can imagine Arsene Wenger not wanting to sell Alexis Sanchez to City because he didn't want to make them better. 
Mm. And the fact of the matter is, it didn't matter a single bit because they're eight points clear of United right now. They're 12 points clear of Arsenal. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they were already awesome. This, this would not have kept you any closer in terms of their performance. <laughs> it certainly hasn't, hasn't hurt you necessarily in terms of yours, but the longer term, like, that's, that's the other thing people lose. You cannot stay still. There's no such thing as staying still in football because guys get older, things change, injuries happen. Teams, other teams, the complexity around their moves, their coaching moves, their their roster moves, their schedule moves, or squad moves, etc. Like, you cannot stay still. It, you might get one year of kind of stability, but everything else around you moves. So if you're trying to keep the status quo for like one more year, and it's costing you potentially a lot of money for future years, like, that's a very difficult thing to do. Um, it's even more difficult than a championship where money matters more, but it's quite challenging. So what did you get wrong? Anything else? Before we move on to the good stuff. Yeah, I couldn't think. Um, it, uh, to be honest, <laughs> it sounds terrible, but it's like there were some really like obvious takes that we we made like through the summer uh, about like particularly Everton's like terrible transfers, um, West Ham's terrible transfers that have pretty much been borne out. They've both sacked their managers. They've underperformed. Um, to, you know, considering the, some kind of expectation, especially the amount of money that Everton spent. You know, a lot of people in the summer was, was saying, "Oh, yeah, they, you know, they, they, they've, they've, almost thinking like the volume of money was like an indicator of of quality. It, it just didn't seem to add up that way. And then, like player player wise, like you know, I was I was hot on Salah coming to Liverpool. Um, mm. <laughs> didn't realise he'd be this good. I mean, this yeah, he'll probably slow down. I can't, I can't imagine he's going to score goals at this rate the whole season. But I mean, hell's bells, he's he's absolutely flying. Uh, so I was quite pleased that I majored on him as like my potential signing of the summer. My take um, on Salah was that they got the best player that they could get for their squad and and mm. for that position. Uh, that was that is what they got, and. It, it was interesting. I talked to John Byrne Murdoch, who I don't think has done the, the PCF for FT, but there were a couple of summers ago where we were looking at City. And um, I think there was, the question was, you know, had they, had they gone more stats or not? And I said in, in Sterling and De Bruyne, and to a lesser extent, Sané later, like they got the best guys on the board that they could, they could get, and they don't care about affording them because they could. Uh, in terms of attackers, like if you want a, attackers that are going to move your needle, especially from wide or attacking midfielder, those are the guys. And and that to me seemed like it was potentially very clever. Liverpool's done the exact same thing in the last two years with Mane and Salah. Hmm. And then they're going to have Naby Keita coming in in the summer. I mean, these are these are the signings. Is that, that guy good? Would make. Never heard of him. <laughs> You picked him out at one point, Ted, at some point in the dim and distant past as a maybe talented lad for the future. And now he's going to go to Liverpool for 48 million quid. And uh, yeah, it should, should, I don't know, it'd be interesting how much of of their kind of midfield transitional issues uh, he solves. But, you know, he's the right guy. He solves a lot of problems by himself. Yeah, yeah, he's the right guy. You watch him play and he causes problems, he solves problems, he gets you. Get you a lad who can attack, he defends. <laughs> so, so go on then. I, I, I had Salah as my, my, like, I was pleased I got that right, at least for now. Have you, have you got one that you'd want to throw into the mix you're happy with? I mean, there, there's plenty of them and fairly comfortable with, with a lot. It's Murata, obviously. They, uh, <laughs> when, yeah, you you write, really when you write about a guy who, who you say this is the best young attacking prospect in Europe <laughs> at this time and he goes on to have this start in the Premier League. Uh, you know, pretty happy about that. Um, 
a kind of weird thing where I'm predicting Arsenal moves years in the future. That's very strange to me. Even when we're using not very high tech stuff back in the day, um, you know, three years after Arsenal moved for the exact same guy, that you're like, yeah, they should move to him three years ago. That's I will, I will say, I thought with Murata, I thought like I thought it was maybe a challenge purely because he hadn't like you know been the main guy and, and you know led led a team. So I thought it was a little bit of a challenge for him to do that. But he, I, I think he's, he's acquitted himself perfectly well, and he's he's scoring goals. So yeah, I, and I, assistant happily, goals. Yeah, I'll happily like you know say that you know is maybe a little little over skeptical towards his his suitability. Uh, to, to well, and, and people were like, he only played against bad teams in La Liga, and the fact of the matter mm. is, there are like La Liga has pretty good quality. So even if you're beating up yeah, on, yeah. Teams, you can probably beat up on the bad teams in the Premier League for the most part too. Yeah, uh, he has looked talented, and you know, there's no denying it. I mean, a lot of these takes are also quite nuanced too. I Pascal Gross, uh, we Pascal Gross was the biggest guy that we would have loved to bring to Brentford, uh, and he was number one on our list if we'd gone up the the year of the playoffs. Um, we looked at him and said that he could do so many amazing things for us in in kind of the style that we wanted, including set beast delivery. That you know to see him come and and be good in the Premier League is really exciting. Like we never got him, but it it doesn't change the fact that you're constantly evaluating your takes and your your information that you had at the time, and then seeing how it bears out and seeing him have a, a good start at Brighton's really good. The Everton stuff I was more nuanced on. Like I hated the Gilfie signing, but I didn't think everything was bad. And I actually I didn't mind the the Wayne Rooney signing. Like if you're looking for a goal scorer, you know we kind of called the I think the. Um, the betting markets had him at like nine or nine and a half goals for the season. We we're like, man, he's going to get to play up front a lot. Like, I would definitely take over because he's going to get to take penalties too. <laughs> that suddenly looks a lot better now, Ted. After last night, doesn't it? That's really it, it wasn't bad before. No, 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 not at all. It was cool, but a hat trick, sure. That's a third of third of your. <laughs> it's, it's about to pay out. I think is how yeah, you yeah. Look at that. So that's pretty cool. All right, Southampton yeah. have continued to be confusing, but they're in 11th, and so that's kind of where you expect the confusing Southampton to be. But I think that, you know, we we get followed by more and more media, hello media, um, that are looking to us, and, and so many times this year, not just our stuff, but other people's stuff on the site as well, like we're ahead of the curve in, in what's going to be written about or what's going to potentially be talked about a couple of weeks from now. And we're getting more more notice from that too. So it's been it's been a fun season. It's still a really fun season. And this is just the Premier League. Italy's great fun. Uh, <laughs> the Bundesliga is as chaotic as I think I can remember it. Although Hank is might might change that and Bayern might just rock it back to the top. Um, and then France. <laughs> you got to remember, PSG didn't win their league last year. <laughs> oh, and 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 the weird vortex of Real Madrid. Like that is that is possibly the strangest story in Europe, and not something we're we're set up to talk about on this podcast. But we'll see how it plays out in the next month because they look like they should be basically right at the top of that league, and ain't nobody scoring. <laughs> no, it's, it's been. Weird. I think they had a cup game in school. To- or something, and uh, their boys started scoring again the other day. But yeah, and the Champions League is is set up really nicely this year because you've got this odd scenario where all the Brit- English teams have done really well, and you know maybe Barcelona, Real, and well, Atletico had gone, Dortmund had gone, and so Bayern. Maybe Juve are probably still strong, but maybe. You know, maybe you're going to have English teams going deep into the Champions League for the first time in what feels like a long time, really. Yeah, it's so, been ages, ages mm, and ages. Too long, really. I mean, you, should, you know, it, 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 these are all rich teams that we just described. They should all be in the in the mix 
like regularly and English teams should very much be in the mix in the Champions League more often than they have been in the recent past so to give yeah, you an so idea of, of how the insane the Real Madrid thing is though they are 13 goals under expectation they've scored like 23 non-penalties or something like that and and we had them at 36 which is mad over the course of the beginning of a season. Just absolutely insane. And there's no explanation for it, really. I mean, somebody might be able to do it on video, but it is really weird. So we'll yeah. see how that plays out. But it's it's been a fun season is, is kind of what I'm trying to say, and, and we look forward to much more. Thanks for listening to us, everybody.